0: Jehoram is the king of the northern kingdom. He's the son of Ahab, and he's the second son of Ahab to be king. He's an evil king. There's nothing good about him. Well, actually said something good, but he's just less evil than the other ones. And there's ongoing conflict with the Syrians in the north. So there's this backstory that rolls through these chapters where there's constant conflict where God's chastening Israel through the Syrians in the north and back and forth conflicts and stuff like that. So it's in that background that we come to the text, and we'll pick it up in verse 9 with this amazing story of Elisha and his servant and what God did. Now, the king of Syria, that would be Ben-Hadad, was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God, that is, Elisha, sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night, and they surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God, Elisha's servant, arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And so Elisha answered him, Do not fear those who are with us, or more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike the people, I pray, with blindness. And he, the Lord, struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria the city of Samaria. That was the capital of the northern kingdom. And so it was when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and there they were inside Samaria. Now when the king of Israel saw them, Jehoram, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? But he, Elisha, answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you had taken captive with sword and your bow? set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Then he prepared a great feast for them, and after they had ate and drank, he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. What a great story. Now, it's worth noting after this that a famine came upon Israel that Ben-Hadad with another Syrian army, but not this one, not this group of guys, but a different group, He came and besieged the city during a great and caused a great famine within the city after this. But in this context, we have just this story and what happened on this day and the events related to it with Elisha, Ben Hadad's army, uh, Jehoram's capital, and all that was going on. This story, as much as any story in the Bible, shows us how much is really going on around us that we often are not aware of. We live in the dimension, as we know, of time, space, and matter. Time, space, matter. T-S-M. Time, space, matter. We're three-dimensional. The universe is three-dimensional. God's triune in nature. We're we're three-dimensional. We're spirit, mind, and body. We live in time, space, and matter. But we realize, based upon the Bible and the Word of God and the promises of God and the truths of God revealed by God in the Old Testament and Jesus coming in the flesh to reveal the Father to us and live the perfect, sinless life and die in our place, that there is another dimension around us at all times. There's the spiritual realm, which is another dimension. There's the realm where angels defend us and demons attack us. There's an organized army against the Church of Jesus Christ that puts all its effort into thwarting the Church's representation and growth on planet Earth. There's the eternal realm that often comes into the realm of time and supersedes it, Again, when Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were thrown in the fiery furnace by Nebuchadnezzar around 585 B.C., we know that the Son of Man came and walked with them in that furnace, and the furnace that had devoured the fire and taken the life of those who threw them in did not affect them at all, that they didn't even have the smell of fire on them, that that dimension of eternity came over that very moment in that very place, and Nebuchadnezzar saw the fourth like the son of man, probably the Lord Jesus Christ, walking with them. Then the dimension went through, and he had sustained them in it. The spiritual realm, the realm of eternity, supersedes and transcends this realm. Again, you think of other stories, like maybe Peter walking on water. That defies time, space, and matter. That's supernatural. So the way that happens is the realm of eternity just comes right over it. Because we know that... These bodies are terrestrial, but in glory with the Lord, they'll be terrestrial. We know these bodies are corruptible, but in eternity, they will be incorruptible. We know that these bodies are definitely mortal, but in eternity, they will be immortal. We know that we're, we've got a fading glory in this body, and we'll go the way of all men, but we know in eternity, we're going from glory to glory, and we have eternal glorified bodies that they just go from glory to glory. Our universe is multidimensional. We know that there's a new heaven and new earth coming. The book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ describes for us glories that are hard for us to understand of the next dimension. They describe the throne room of glory with the Father and the rainbow behind him and the four living creatures and the 24 elders and the throne of Christ and his glory with the scroll there in chapter 5 and the 24 elders singing worthy is the lamb that was slain for us before the foundation of the world. There's a lot that's going on revealed to us from the eternal realm that's just kind of hard for us to understand. And yet it is revealed to us. It's sort of like this. There's the math of a pre-K. One plus one equals two, right? Something like that. Then there's math of second grade. Then there's math of junior high. Then there's math of high school and math of college and the math of people who launch rockets like Pastor Anthony Dean. It's a higher level math. But it's all math. And so often when you're speaking to younger kids, and many of you have raised children, now they're adults, I went surfing with my son Timmy today. I don't talk to my 20-year-old son like an 8-year-old son when he was Timmy playing, you know, Little League Baseball at the age of 8, machine pitch, you know, like, you talk to Timmy at 8 a certain way there, but when you're, he's 28 and you're just hanging out, a father and a son going surfing, the conversation is different. The cognitive capacities are different. So when we talk about the multi-dimensions of time, space, and matter that we're in and the dimension we're going to, the spiritual and the eternal, we might have the ability to understand pre-K math, maybe elementary math, maybe a higher level math. Maybe God shows us more. God showed Paul the apostle, the third heaven, which was so glorious that he had to give him a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble when he showed him such glory. God showed Isaiah the glory of the Lord, and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. And Isaiah had been pronouncing woes on everybody until he saw that. And they said, Woe is me! I've seen eternity and the glory. Tonight, this text reminds us there's a spiritual realm all around us, particularly the church that we're talking about right now. The church is the bride of Christ. We're the apple of his eye, he loves us like no man has ever loved his bride. Uh, One man's love for a woman, his soulmate, whatever, it doesn't even come close, as beautiful it is, to the love of Christ for his church as we're gathered here tonight. And in this realm, he is watching over us and he is taking care of us. And if we only filled our mind with negative influences of news and what people say and unbelief, we would forget what really is in play because this realm is not the one that subjects the next one, but the one that we're going to and that surrounds us rules over this one. So this text reminds us that we are part of a spiritual kingdom and we need to have spiritual mind and have the mind of Christ and the mind of the Spirit and be spiritually minded. We are a spiritual kingdom. We're told that the church is citizens of heaven. We're told that we're ambassadors of Christ. Unlike any citizenship, unlike any ambassadorship. We are his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We're to preach the gospel to every creature. We're to make disciples of all nations. And we're to let our, so, our light so shine before men that they glorify our Father in heaven because of our good works. We represent a spiritual kingdom. And we're told that Christ in us is the hope of glory. That when we become born again and we pass from death to life, from Adam to the second Adam, Christ, and we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that we're born of the Spirit and now we can see the Spirit. There's the natural man, woman, who's not born again. They can't discern the things of the Spirit other than the Holy Spirit convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment to put their faith and trust in Jesus. Then there's a carnal man who understands spiritual things, but they're just carnal. They're like Romans 8. The spiritual person sets their mind on things of the Spirit and they walk according to the Spirit. But the carnal person sets their mind on carnal things and they walk according to the flesh. That's what Romans 8 tells us. And then there's the, uh, the spiritual man or the spiritual woman. There's three, mind, there's three types of men, women in the Bible there's the natural, the carnal, and the spiritual. And the spiritual woman, the spiritual man, is what's to be desired. That's the man or woman who wakes up and seeks the Lord. They fill their mind with the word of God and the promises of his word. They seek the Lord. They pray to the Lord. They grow in the Lord. And they come from the Lord as they go out in the world on behalf of the Lord, and their light shines for Christ. That's what we're talking about. They really are representations of Christ and his coming kingdom the way it's meant to be. And this story shows us just how real the spiritual realm around us is see some people just reject any idea of the supernatural or the spiritual realm whatever even though God's put eternity in everyone's hearts that's what they choose to do so their minds are darkened their hearts are darkened and that's just the way it goes some people confess Christ but they never fully understand the spiritual things going on around them in fact during worship I wrote this down people who live for the kingdom see the kingdom See, if you're living for the spiritual kingdom, you will see it. But if you're not living for it, you're not going to see it. Because God tells the man or woman who cares, and he does not tell the one who doesn't. Seek, knock, and ask. So WG, in this story, we're talking about the spiritual kingdom. And tonight we're reminded that we are a spiritual kingdom. We're reminded some things of the spiritual kingdom. Number one, to see spiritually. In verses 16 and 17... Elisha saw spiritually. He could see the army of God, the heavenly hosts around him in that situation, which is far greater than the army of Ben-Hadad. Would you take the eternal army, the kingdom, the angels, who are supernatural, glorious aliens to this world, whenever they reveal themselves, everyone falls down on their face just like they do when the Lord reveals himself. They're so powerful. They're so awesome. They're nothing like us. They precede us, if such a thing could be said, because they come from a different dimension without time. They worship before the Lord in his presence in the throne room. We're told they're innumerable. They're amazing. Now, we're told a third fell with Satan when he was cast out of heaven, that's a pretty safe understanding of application from that text in the book of revelation of jesus christ so we're told the angels are numerable but a third so help us think the way in our dimension like a two-year-old math how we could see it but it's all there and on this day elisha woke up and all his servancies is sir ben hadad all the strength and power of men and women and all their power and all their glory in the world. That's all he sees and like, we are in trouble. And Elijah's like this. This is what I see. The chariots of fire. Like the one that came for his leader, Elijah. Elijah. Remember, the chariot of fire came for Elijah. One, to take him to eternity. The the realm of eternity opens up. Here it is. Transdimensional. Here it comes. The chariot comes through. Grabs Elijah. Up he goes. The dimension supersedes it. Elisha's there. It's time, space, and matter. Elisha's going, oh, my father, my father, my fathers. And Elisha's going, see ya, peace out. And up he goes. And the coat falls to Elisha, which was the sign that he would get the double portion. And he did. And then, boom, it's gone. Just like when Jesus ascended into heaven. Up, 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 boom, gone. Different dimension. He's gone. To the next dimension. Like when you breathe your last. Different dimension. So now Elisha sees it. He's elevated. He sees it. And what match is this for that? None. He saw his spiritual eyes. And he said to his servant. Don't fear. Do not fear. When we take our eyes off the eternal. When we take our eyes off the angels watching over us. When we take our eyes off the Lord who's calling us and sustaining us. We can become Fearful. If you look too long, the devil would like nothing better for you to look at ben haddad 's resume, ben haddad 's podcast. listen to it. ben haddad 's YouTube channel. The devil would just love it if you did nothing but wake up and listen to nothing but ben haddad 's worldview and all of his social media posts. That's what Ben Haddad and the devil would like together. the strength of man. To wake up and first think about Ben Haddad and his YouTube channel. I'm Ben Haddad. You're like, that's how the devil rolls. But Elijah doesn't have time for Ben Haddad. Elijah's podcast is Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father, and everyone's going to bow the knee. That's our podcast. You with me? See, what you fill your mind with is going to dictate how you see the world that day. So fill your mind with the person, the work, the promises, and the power of Jesus Christ and see. The chariots of glory, not the chariots of the temporal that rust and become nothing. That's how we need to see it. That's why I don't get... Of course, when you get older, you don't care anymore as much. I just didn't say you don't care anymore. I actually care more now than I ever did. But you're not affected as much by things that upset you when you're younger. Nothing makes me sadder than to have someone tell me their parents are in eternity, and all they did was get frustrated watching Fox News or CNN News before they stepped into eternity. Oh, my goodness, what a waste of life. Why would you let these people upset you? They have no dominion over us. Christ in his blood and the tongues of fire has dominion over me and you. We're the church. Nothing happens to the bride that the king doesn't allow, our groom, Lord Jesus Christ. So see the chariots. The spiritual kingdom is seen with spiritual eyes, and we need to have spiritual eyes. We need to see things the way God sees them. And again, talking about angels, we're told in Hebrews eleven that excuse me, Hebrews one verse fourteen that angels are ministering spirits sent to those who are being saved. So every one of us, when we give our life to Christ, we are told by the Holy Spirit that there are angels watching out for us. So the time you dodge death that you were aware of, good for you. The time that you didn't, you weren't even aware of, good for you even more. Who even knows how many times the angels of the Lord have protected you and I when we don't even know it? There's times we do know it, but there's times we don't even know it. We're going to get to eternity, and we're going to look back and realize that God had these spiritual aliens that are favorable and righteous and holy and glorious, like, wow, and they're watching over us to see us through in this journey. So why are we going to fret? Because of Ben-Hadad's army outside our front door on this day in Dothan. Don't fret when we see his chariots, then the chariots of men mean nothing. I mean, they're real. No, those are real chariots, but these are more real. Hugh Latimer, who was martyred in the Fox's Book of Martyrs, he was uh, encouraged by his neighbors to renounce his faith in Christ. And they said, Hugh, life is sweet and death is bitter. You should renounce right now and avoid this. He goes, yes, but the life to come is more sweet and the death to come more bitter. And Hugh Latimer was put like the dunce cap on his head the next day, marching through town and burn him at the stake in front of his fellow citizens in his village. See, the life to come is more sweet, and the death to come is more bitter, and we need to have spiritual eyes that we never lose that perspective. By the way, in Fox's Book of Martyrs, one of the most famous books ever written, there is, to my recollection, no one that's ever burned at the stake that ever confirmed that the flames hurt them. And even if they did, what is that for a moment, right? Like, just, what is that for a moment, right? Severe pain and a fire, obviously it's horrible, but what is that for a moment? In the next dimension means nothing. It's just more glory for the next dimension. But in Fox's Book of Martyr, time and time again, they say, hey, if we raise our hands in the flame, you know the flames didn't burn us. And people are being burned alive and they're raising their hands to the Lord in the Fox's Book of Martyrs, according to the record of the church in the last 2,000 years. It's worth noting, it doesn't have to be that way but that's the record of how it is in the Fox's book, in John, uh, I think it's John Fox's book of martyrs. One of the most famous books right there, Pilgrim's Progress, the Bible. There's a few that have had that much distribution in human history. We're told in Ephesians, so we're talking about our eyes being open to the spiritual things, and in the context, it's spiritual protection from Ben Hadad's army. But in looking at our eyes being open, of course, we're told in Colossians, I have not seen nor ear heard those things that God's prepared for those who love Him and His appearing. So, you know, we're, we're asking God to show us things that we don't fully understand spiritually. But I like this text in Ephesians. I thought about this today and meditating on this text where Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church, the church universal for us tonight, where He said, I do not cease to give thanks for you in chapter 1, verse 16, making mention of in my prayers. So, how is Paul praying for us tonight? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceedingly greatness, power of his power toward us who believe. Now that's what we want our eyes open to. Yes and amen? I'll just read it again because we should think about this more than once. And I review my notes all the time from books I read, so I'll read it again. Make mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, that's the church, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Though sometimes it feels like time, space, and matter is a road game, it's always a home game for the church. Because Jesus is over everything. What that text tells us is from here to eternity, he wants to help our understanding, to open our eyes to understand how great he is and the riches of his glory and all the riches of his gospel of grace and all that he's done for us. That we just be transformed from glory to glory as we meditate upon him and his word and his promises and what he's doing in, his li- in our life. That our hearts would be filled with gratitude and thanksgiving as we go through this journey that we call life, knowing that Christ is on the throne and He's our high priest that ever does and intercedes for us. And He's got our back in all things. Our eyes need to be open. The the spiritual kingdom requires spiritual eyes and it's the desire and the will of the Holy Spirit for all of us who confess Christ to understand daily a greater depth of the reality of the angels watching over us, the innumerable witnesses cheering us on, Hebrews 12.1 tells us, and that God is for us to open and understand. WG, body of Christ, see it. Take time to slow it down and see the kingdom. See it. So the next time you just all, oh, everyone's like, it's Haddad. you just go, no, it's those chariots of glory. That's what we need to see. And it's there for us. And we see it through the eyes of faith. The second thing we see in this text of the spiritual kingdom is to believe spiritually. Faith and belief and trust, they're, they're, they're kind of interchangeable words in the Bible. We're saved by faith. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and confess him with your heart, you shall be saved. We're told to trust in the Lord with all of our heart, lean not on our understanding. So faith, we're told in Hebrews that uh, looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we have an object where faith is a substance of things, things hoped for that it's not yet seen. So that's what faith is. It's directed toward Jesus. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So faith is this whole element. We are saved by faith. We're justified by faith. We walk by faith, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Paul said in the Corinthian epistle. So we understand that. And then I, but, so we believe, and I say, oh, we're believing in God for this. And if you're believing in God for anything he promised, good for you. And if you're not, then step up your game. Because all the promises in Christ are yes and amen. There's no children of a lesser savior in this room. If we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ, all those promises are yes and amen for all of us. The only issue is whether or not we apply them to our life and believe it to be so. That's the only issue. There's no children of a lesser God in the kingdom of God. We're all saved by grace and not through faith. And all those promises are yes and amen. So, the people who live super fruitful lives of faith and productive in their journey, whether it's 20 years, 40, 60, 80, or 100, they do so because they believe those things and they live by faith. They take steps of faith. They stretch their faith. They grow their faith and they go for it with their faith. And some people have great faith because they've learned to live that way. And some people have little faith because they've never exercised their faith. I want to stand before the Lord having gone for it big time. Don't you? See, no matter how old we are or how uh, physically challenged we might be with getting older, our faith can move mountains. We want to be women and men of great faith that believe God. And I've been saying this a lot in the last few years. I want to believe God for great things. And even if he doesn't do it, I, I don't want it to be because I didn't believe he could do it. I want him to not do it because he chose not to do it. But I don't want him to say, like, you know, I didn't believe he could do it. Because sometimes the Lord will allow you to go through things that you're like, no, I thought you were bigger than this. But no, no, there's a plan there. So that's where our faith really comes in, because we realize that there was a bigger plan, and we thought the wind looked like this in Jesus' name, but the wind really looks like this in Jesus' name. And by the way, some bad losses always make a big win later on feel even better. In writing my book, which I'm doing right now, I've gone back over events from 1980 to 1983 where everything that could go wrong in the Pipe Masters went wrong for Joey Buran. But on December 17, 1984, everything went right. And it made it a whole lot sweeter. It's the old ABC, Wild World the Sports, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And if you know the agony of defeat, the thrill of victory is that much greater. So we never really lose with the Lord. We might learn lessons. We say this quite often as a former olympic coach you learn a lot more from losing than you do winning i mean winning feels a lot better and if you give me a choice on any day of the week i'm gonna say i'll choose winning over losing but i learned a lot more from losing than i ever did from winning and if you learn from losing it prepares you for winning so if you can learn from your failures with the lord or things he allows that didn't seem fair or whatever but you trust him in it then you're really being groomed for the greater things in other words, if there's no excuses and you just keep going on in the game of serving the Lord faithfully, the play's even out, the call's even out. Or as it said, the more I apply myself, the luckier I get. So the more I just trust in the Lord, the more things end up working out for good. God will test us when the call goes against us, a bad call. Sometimes like, hey, can we get the replay official on this one? I think that's the wrong call. At work, and the family, whatever. Like, No, there's no replays here. Jesus is king. That call went against you. How are you going to respond to it? Yeah, you you learn a lot from that stuff. But to believe spiritually. It says, Elijah prayed to the Lord, strike this people. I pray with blindness. And he did, and they were. Just like Elijah said, no rain, and there was no rain. Then Elisha says, open their eyes, verse 20. And they were open, just like Elijah had said, let there be rain, and it rained. Do you hear the sound of the rain before there was rain? Do you see the cloud before it's coming? That was a whole study with Elijah, right? And the lesson from Elijah, the predecessor to Elisha, was the book of James tells us that he was a man with a nature like us, and he prayed this way, and God heard his prayers, and that we're to pray the same way. The church, that's the amazing story about Elijah when he prayed, no rain, rain, for three and a half years, that the Holy Spirit tells us in the New Testament, in case you think that's just something like really special for this super prophet in the Old Testament, it's not, it's for you, church of Jesus Christ in every generation. That's our example to wake up and have believing faith and prayer spiritually that rain, no rain, blinded, opened. Now, that's what he had for Elijah. That's what he had for Elisha. Who knows what he has for you? But we need to be to believe spiritually. We need to believe spiritually what Jesus says, and we need to take it seriously. Let me read this passage from the Gospel of John. Chapter 14, when Jesus said, On the way, the truth, and the life, he went on to say some other things after that. He said, you should believe because of the works. If you had known me, Philip said, show us the Father. And he said, if you had known me, you would know, you'd seen the Father, and so on and so forth. Have I not been with you so long, Philip? He who sees me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? And he who has seen me has seen the Father, or believe the works because they confirm the Father, believe are one and the same. But then in verse 12, he says something amazing. John 14, 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, He who believes in me. Now, that's not limited to the apostles. Plus, the apostles were to make disciples teaching the church the exact same things they've been taught. Just so you know that, right? To go make disciples, teaching them all things I taught you. So whatever Jesus taught the apostles is for us, the church. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, or she. This is the part I haven't quite figured out in 61 years so far, but I hope to before I see eternity. And, and greater works these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That is, like don't read over that in a hurry. Like that's, you know, that's that's an, this is a promise. So I'll read it again. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. He opened the eyes of the blind, raised the dead, made the lame walk, deaf to see, or deaf to hear, blind to see, all those things and many more. Greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So if the supernatural of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus are not happening in and through our life, and I'm not just talking to WGM, looking in the mirror at myself and the body of Christ in 2022 right now. If the church is not doing the supernatural, it's not because it's not available to us or promised to us because Jesus promises to the church. If this isn't happening, it's because I'm distracted or I don't care enough. But if I'm not distracted and I do care enough, maybe these things will happen. What could be greater than having this happen? To lose our life and find it in Christ and give up temporal, carnal things for eternal, glorious things. This is a promise. If we come here to worship the Lord, with Scott Cunningham leading us in worship, to partake of communion together in his memory, the Lord's memory of what he's done. We need to believe this. We need to believe this promise. Now, I've read this promise. Of all the promises in the New Testament, in 35 years of ministry, this one always gets my attention. Like, Now, I've seen some very supernatural things happen with the Lord. But I don't want to live off the resume from the 90s or the first couple years of worship generation with Jeremy Camp and Phil Wickham when they're teenagers or something. I want to find supernatural in 2023 and crank it up another level. Which I hereby, amen, you do too. I might be fading the outward man, but my inward man can get a whole lot stronger in this fourth quarter. And so can your inward woman and your inward man. Though the outward's perishing, the inward's being renewed daily, and we can go from glory to glory. And I, yes, yes, also, in Matthew's gospel, with the fig tree when Jesus cursed it, he cursed the fig tree that last week, and then it withered. And the apostles were like, Wow, this is amazing. Jesus, like, you think it's amazing? I tell you, if you believe, you can say this mountain, Be moved, and it will be moved. That's what he said to them. Now, it might seem hyperbole to move mountains, but the intent of what Jesus was saying was absolute. Then, in John's latter part of his life, he writes in 1 John, That we would have confidence in prayer, knowing that whatever we ask according to his will, he hears our prayer. And we have the petition we asked. So all the more reason to know the will in the heart of the Father every day by being in his word. Because the more we know his will and his purposes, the more we can pray confidently in agreement with what he wants to do. I don't want to just read these promises at 61 and think, oh, that's pretty cool. I want to read these promises and go like, I want to see that before I step into eternity. The spiritual eyes. Now, the last thing we see is the act, the action of spirituality. So we have to see spiritually, to believe spiritually, and to act spiritually. And if that's that's like the, the most amazing thing about this story. I just love how, like, you know, <laughs> poor. Durham. Do we kill him? What do I do? You know, like we execute him? It's war and all, you know. It's like, what is wrong with you? Like, what is wrong with you? You're gonna feed him, him water, you're gonna throw him a banquet. Now, listen. This is where the kingdom of God is so different than the kingdom of men. You look at human wars and even the ones we got going on right now, nobody's capturing anyone else and throwing them a banquet and sending them home with blessings. But if we did, how different might things be? See, proactively and reactively, our actions are to reflect a spiritual kingdom. Now, our flesh might want a different action, our pride might want a different action, But the Holy Spirit working in us, Christ in us, hope of glory, is going to proactively and reactively seek spiritual action. Faith without works is dead, the book of James tells us, and the works of faith is life. And the great distinction between the church and the world, which most of us know, we know know intellectually, but maybe the Holy Spirit will minister a bit more to our heart right now. It is spiritual. It is spiritual. So we need to respond spiritually. The wrath of man or woman produces not the righteousness of God. And a soft answer turns away wrath. And the more that we can just diffuse and de-escalate things, the better. See, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, you've heard it's this and an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you this. See, if you go tit for tat, it's just always tit for tat. But when you feed your enemies and send them home with a blessing, shalom, shalom, those raiders never came back. Now, you could do that, and those raiders could come back. So let's just address that. And so what? Isn't everything the Lord's anyways? If the raiders come back after you fed them and sent them home with peace, is, that's between you and the Lord more than it's between you and the raiders, isn't it? If someone's always plundering you, and you bless them, and you, you pronounce blessings on them, and they plunder you again, that's really between you and the Lord. God can strike them down dead. He can make them go plunder someone else or just go to another country. Or give back everything they took. God can make them do anything. It's never about the raider from Syria, it's about the heart with the Lord and how you deal with the Syrians. That's always going to be the issue. And that's what we do have control over. There's a lot of things we have no self determination over concerning raiders from Syria, but there's a lot we do have over concerning how we respond to raiders from Syria and how we treat them. Now, these, sounds like, these sound like big words in the pulpit, but these are truthful words. And I do speak the words of truth, absolute truth. The church exists to show mercy. The disciple exists to show mercy. The church exists to show grace. The disciple exists to show grace. That's who we are. The church exists to show forgiveness, to show forgiveness because Jesus shows forgiveness. In the Sermon on the Plain, uh, P-L-A-I-N, like a flat area, Luke chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount and Plain are similar, but they're different in some ways. But Jesus said this in chapter 6. The whole chapter is the Sermon on the Plain, but I want to read this to us. I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also and from him who takes away your cloak and withholds your tunic do not withhold your tunic either get everyone who asks you and from him who takes away the goods do not ask them back and just as you want men to do you do also them likewise that's a key thing that's the golden rule almost of all world religions by the way you do also them likewise that's something that god put in humanity that whole sowing and reaping karma juju as you sow so you sow, reap there it is right there you proactively do things and they'll come back to you it's like gravity it's how the universe works with or without Jesus, actually, but particularly for the disciples of Christ. Verse 32. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For every even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even Sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, lend hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father is also merciful. And I'll give you the bonus text, 37 and 38. Judge not, lest you be judged. Condemn not, lest you should not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Running over will be put into your bosom, your chest. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. It is not always easy to forgive, but it is always right to forgive, and there will always be a blessing in it. And we don't have enough life to live, enough time to live life, to be bitter and malicious toward anyone, of course. And if you've ever been embittered or malicious toward anyone, you know it kills you. It doesn't kill them. It kills you. And even the most worst things that can happen in the human experience, we have to learn to forgive and make that an offering to the Lord for all eternity. We have to see the chariots of fire above the army of ben Haddad and the Syrian raiders and what they take. We have to do it. It's not optional. In fact, when Jesus teaching on his, how to pray, he said, for if you do not forgive men's sins, nor will your father forgive your sins. He gives you a bonus. He gives us a bonus thought on that to us. The one who steps into eternity with no malice in forgiving others is the woman and the man who is triumphant in this experience that we call life. And it's not an easy thing to do. But when you have faith, looking into Jesus, when you believe in him for his promises and you trust the Lord with all your heart, that's how you will find the ability to do that. That is how we'll find the ability to show mercy to those who came to take from us. There was a great lesson for Jehoram to learn here, but he didn't learn it. In fact, he curses Elisha later on in the chapter because they came back, and he blames him for it. He never learned. The carnal man, the natural man, never learns the lessons, but God's not working so much in the carnal and the natural. He's working in us, the spiritual. He's, he wants us to be spiritually minded in how we see things, how we believe things, and how we act. We're to be spiritually minded, to be kingdom minded. And I would just say this in closing as I think about this. Now more than ever in my entire life, I realize these two, these multiple dimensions are running together at all times. They truly are. And Jesus says that we have abundant life when we put our trust in him. We have eternal life when we put our trust in him. So when we wake up as followers of Christ, from the youngest to the oldest, from the children to the elderly, in memory care, whatever, and and we're following Christ, we're born of his spirit, we're, we're being transformed from glory to glory we're in time, space, and matter. And we might be in kindergarten with a kindergarten faith in the Lord, like childlike faith. We might be in college and standing up for our faith with a, a mature intellectual faith amongst scoffers and mockers. And we might have this faith, and we might have the faith, again, being in memory care. We forget things, and we get fuzzy, and then we realize when someone comes in place, I can sing of your love forever, that we can, and we belong to the Lord, right? And, and all that that's going on, we're in time, space, and matter. But really, the real abundant life is to know that we're in eternity, We're already in eternity. If our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, which they are promised they are, then we've passed from death to life, and we're in eternity. Eternity is in us, and we have the abundant life working in and through us as we're living in this life of time, space, and matter. And that abundant life has given us the joy that's unspeakable and the joy that can't be taken from us. Rejoice always in the Lord again. I say always rejoice in the Lord. We have it. And we live in it, and we walk in it, and we apply it. And we have the eternal life working in us. So the outward woman's perishing, but the inward woman's being renewed. She's dying outwardly, but she's being prepared inwardly for the kingdom. The dimensions are together. We're in time, space, and matter like this. But at the same time, the eternal is over us. The spiritual and the eternal like that. And wise and fruitful is the man or woman who wakes up, seeks the Lord, abides in Christ, seeks the things of Christ, demonstrates the things of Christ because we're just walking like Peter on water. That's what it's like. And if the Herod comes for our head like James, we lose our head. God says your head's gone, your time is done. If Herod comes for the head of Peter and says your time, God says this time's not done. He sends the angels and you walk out the gate and off you go for another decade of your life to be lived for the glory of Christ. He's not done until he says he's done. This dimension is over this one. So the more we set our mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth, whatever we hold on the earth, it's not got a hold of us. We rule over it because it belongs to the Lord. And we're fruitful and we're faithful and we keep growing and we keep sowing and we go to glory. And when the Lord comes to us, it's it's triumphant. This is the kingdom. It is spiritual. See it, believe it, be it in Jesus name.